Good evening, everyone. Happy to have all of you with me tonight for This Is Why We Have the Psalms, Part 5. And we're going to allow the audience to gather um, over the course of the next couple minutes before we dive in to tonight's teaching. As you log on, be sure to leave a comment, let us know who's here, and we'll also just say hello to everyone who is uh, listening uh, via podcast as well. If you're not subscribed to the Genu podcast, that's a good thing worth getting in the App Store or wherever you find your podcasts. So a good group popping on already. So welcome to Bill and Alicia and Sandy, Crystal, Elaine, Elsie. There's Wanda and Lori and Michelle. Hello, Sheena. Good evening. Hope that you all are doing okay. Quite a good group um, gathering here so far. And I'm going to share this out on my Facebook feed. If you will as well, go ahead and hit the share button. That way people can, uh, can join us for tonight's teaching as well. And we're going to jump in and not waste any time uh, here in just one moment right after I get done sharing this out. So I hope that y'all are, uh, hope you're doing well. I wonder who is going to the beach when it reopens. Is it Friday? Is Friday May the 1st? I think that is. Uh, whenever it opens, who's going to the beach? Let me know. Let's see here. All right, hello, Susie and Kayla and Chris. Becky says, chicken and dumb psalm lens. You really had to reach for that one. Uh, let's see. Dump psalm lens. Psalm lens. Becky, I can't, I can't get there from here. Uh, Kristen, the people listening on the podcast are going, what on earth is going on? Just, uh, just hang with us here. All right, Hannah's going to the beach. Hey, Josh. Hey, Miss Joyce. Tim and his crew says that they're going sometime soon. Kim is going to the beach. Cecil says, not me. I'm out. Well, grateful for all of you. I'm going to move into tonight's teaching. I'm going to try and monitor the comments as well. So if you have a comment or a question, um, another, another way of looking at... Um, the text, then we're always open to that. You know, this is a dance that we do here. So the Psalms, for those of you who are joining us for the first time in the series, this is why we have the Psalms, is for times like these. The Psalms are prayers we pray. They're often set to music. They're prayers we pray when we don't have language of our own. They give us a voice when we've lost our voice. They steady our thoughts and they center and calm our scattered minds. The Psalms help us say what's in our hearts. And I've enjoyed this trek through the Psalms with you so far. And tonight we are going to be studying together Psalm 131. And I'll read that for us. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. Psalm 131. It's a song of ascents, A-S-C-E-N-T-S, of David. O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. 
but I've calmed and quieted my soul. Like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Psalm 131 is uh, certainly one of the shorter psalms um, in the Bible. In just three verses, there's so much packed into it. And I've read it several times um, as we've gone through this series, and I, I just kept coming back to this one in particular and want to just unpack it a little bit tonight and, again, welcome your comments and any questions you have. So um, the psalm, just as you look at it, is a call to, call to humility, calm, and hope. The psalm is a call to humility and calm and hope. And so it starts off with three negatives that speak against arrogance and pride in three areas. So let's look briefly at those. Um, the first one, it, it says, Oh Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My heart is not lifted up. So heart, uh, the Hebrew can also uh, reference the mind. So my heart or mind is not lifted up. And what the psalmist is, is saying is, on the inside, I'm not lifted up in the way that I'm, that, I'm, that I'm orienting myself toward the world, the way I'm thinking about the world. In my posture of heart, I'm not lifted up on the inside in ways like arrogance or with uh, pride or with haughty thoughts. And then the word eyes in, this, in the second part of that, um, I don't... My eyes are not raised too high. So the eyes can suggest the external things. If the heart's not lifted up on the inside, then the eyes represent the external things. So uh, in Proverbs 6, we see that the eyes are associated with destructive behaviors. So the psalmist is trying to say on the inside and on the outside, I'm trying to keep myself from pride and from arrogance and from destructive behaviors. So that's the groundwork that's being laid so far. So the psalmist wants to be humble in both thought and in deed, and then moves to the next one, which says, I don't occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. And so one way of interpreting that is uh, I, I, I don't occupy myself with, with understanding and claiming full knowledge of God's marvelous works. I can't understand it all. It's all too marvelous for me. You just don't have the ability to understand all of God's works and to take it all in. So you meditate upon God's word. You meditate upon God's works, but you realize that you don't understand it all. So if uh, you're doing the daily Bible reading today, I think it was Psalm... Uh, Job, let's say, I think it was 41. We'll flip back over to Job 41 for just a second because this, this idea of occupying myself with things that are too, how does it say? Great and marvelous for me. It's kind of like know your role, so to speak. Um, just read a little bit of Job 41 here for just a second. This is God speaking to Job. Can you draw out Leviathan with a fish hook or press down his tongue with a cord? Can you put a rope in his nose or pierce his jaw with a hook? Will he make many pleas to you? Will he speak to you soft words? Will he make a covenant with you to take him 
for your servant forever? Will you play with him as with a bird and leash him for your girls? Will traders bargain over him? And he goes on and on. In another place, he's like, who, uh, were, were you the one who told the seas they can go this far and no more? And so even though Job was righteous, there, it seems like there was a place that he might have he might have crossed a little bit in his attempt to to in his attempt to make sense of all of it and god's just speaking back to him and saying there are some things that are just out of your pay grade boy so you're not going to get it all you're not going to understand it all it goes on there was um and then job responds that's what i wanted to tell you chapter 42 job answered the lord and said i know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have uttered what I didn't understand. Things too wonderful for me. Is that the same way they say it there? Too great and too marvelous. It's basically the same. Things too wonderful for me, which I don't know. Here and I will speak and I will question you and, and you make it known to me. I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. It's the suffering that lead, and the humility that leads Job from just this hearing about God, just this kind of knowledge about God, to really seeing God. It's the suffering that's the gateway to humility, and humility is the gateway to seeing God beyond just hearing and, and knowing. So the, the pressure brings power. The, the crushing brings a posture of heart to say, God, I just I, I, I don't get it all but I don't have to because I trust you. So our role is not to understand why. Our role is to trust. A couple of uh, weeks ago, I taught about the tree of knowing too much, eating, from, eating fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And the tree of knowing too much is just trying to gather insights and information and reasons. And when there are some things that are just beyond us and we live in the information age and the technology age and certainly all of that's wonderful and yet at the same point in time it's like we're addicted to understanding how things work and why things work the way they do and yet there's this posture of heart from the psalmist and from Job that just says I I'm going to understand as best I can but I know that I'm just not going to ever get it all God and so that's a good posture of heart to have so um, the question that I want to ask us is, why do we seem to need to know why? Why do we seem to need to know why? I'd love to, to see some of your thoughts coming in here. Yeah, Lori said, Job went from a head knowledge to a heart knowledge. That's a good way to, to frame it. Not that the mind is the enemy of, of the heart. In fact, you saw earlier, they, the Hebrew there is kind of the same for both words in this case. But I think what we're saying is trying to rationalize everything uh, will often fall short. Why do, we, why do we seem to need to know why? Any thoughts on that? We'll just let the comments come in for just a second before moving on. Why do you want to know why? Why do we? Children seem to want to know why. Hey, could you could you fold some laundry? Why? Well, because if you don't, it's, it's just not it's it's just not going to fold itself. So I need you to fold it, right? 
Control, Sheena said. Alicia said it's a control issue. So if we if we have some sense of understanding why, then maybe there's maybe there's a reason for this. And if there's a reason for this, maybe I can make meaning out of my pain. And if I can make meaning out of my pain, then it, at least I have some some feeling of it was worthwhile or which is ultimately it all just go it all goes back to control i think that's that's good someone said we want to know why so we don't have to trust god i'd have to think think through that let's see the why helps me in control i think it's a feeling of control sherry said to understand maybe to see if we agree with it oh that's interesting yeah i want to why why god well, here's here's the reason why. Well, I don't agree with that. Okay. Or, yeah, at, at least if you help me understand why, then I can see where you're coming from. That's an interesting perspective. I want to know what to prepare for. The need to know why for a false sense of security. Fear of the unknown, which is a lack of control. Oh, there's a friend from high school, Chad Blendon. Chad, so good to see you tonight. I'm so glad that you joined us. That's wonderful. Chad and I haven't talked in so many years. That's great. Chris says, until my healing walk with God, I needed to know why because I figured I could fix it if I had the why. Now, Brenda says something interesting. I like this. You want to know why? Because that's, that's the way God made us. We need to think about that for a little bit. I haven't thought about that. We want to know why, because that's the way God made us. I think, you know, I'm going to go back. I'm going to go way back. I'm going to go to, um, I'm going to go to advanced math in high school. There's a certain point to where things, you know, just made sense. You know, two plus two equals four and so on. But there came a point whenever they would teach us like formulas and postulates and theorems and um, gosh, it's been so long. I don't even remember what these things mean anymore. But there was a certain desire that I had, not just to understand or to memorize whatever those formulas were, but I wanted to know, I wanted to know how things worked together. I wanted to know why. And my friend, his name was Tommy McCormick. Tommy could take a look at a problem and he, he could he could solve the problem in ways that the teacher hadn't even taught because he he's actually he's an engineer to this day his mind understood how things worked in from a mathematical standpoint and that allowed him to solve it in different ways which gave him a huge advantage over people like me because i was memorizing formulas i wanted to know why though and i often just couldn't often couldn't get there and I think that the desire to know why, and Brenda, I want to think about this a little bit, but I, I think the desire to know why comes from a, actually a place of creativity. The desire to know why comes from a place of wanting to know how things work. The reason why you want to know how things work is because you're creative. The reason you're creative is because you're made in God's image. Brenda, you've, you've turned the gem, you've turned the diamond a little bit tonight, and I hadn't thought about it like that. So the desire to know why isn't inherently evil. It's, you can also get to a place, though, to where it just works against you. 
Like I could spend so much time in math class asking why, 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 why that we never actually learn. You know, at some point the teacher says, just trust me, Tommy. C squared equals A squared plus B squared. It's okay. Just trust me. Just trust me. And I think that there comes a point to where with God, maybe we just start from trust, but we ultimately sometimes just have to wrestle our way into a place of trust. So let's think about that. That's interesting. That's a, that's a, a deep thought. Um, Tim says, for me, why is to comprehend the, legit, the legitimacy of what I believe? Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things unseen. Wanting to know why is an absence of faith, but is seeking to understand the reason for my faith. It's faith seeking understanding. We want to know why so we can know how to do it for ourselves. Chad says, the beauty of free will allows us to ask why, but also allows us to turn to the Lord and not walk in unbelief. There's, um, I want to get it right. We only have three verses tonight, so we're we're doing fine on time. Um, we're 33 and a third percent of the way through. I learned how to do that math. Um, there's something I want to read you that I read the other day, and, and it, if I can find it, well, I don't remember what it what it, exactly it was. It's from a little book, The Ethics of Our Fathers. Um, the Ethics of the Fathers. The, it said, uh, God knows the future and yet allows free will. And there's a paradox, isn't there? That God knows the future and yet allows, allows free will. So God knows the choices that will be made as a result of free will and yet allows free will as part of the process because we are we're creative. So, okay, well, thank you, thank you, thank you so much. Um, I want to keep going. Verse number two, but I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. It's interesting that the psalmist claims to have quieted his own soul rather than God quieting his soul. I'm not saying that's not there. Two things can be true at the same point in time that seem like opposing. That's that's a, a paradox. Um, you you know when you have a paradox that you're close to deep truth. So um, in this case, I quiet my soul, and yet God quiets my soul, or. Um, God is God is power God is a, a powerful deliverer and yet God also weeps in the midst of brokenness and pain as we see in Christ it's a paradox of sorts there are probably better examples but those are two just off the top of my head I've calmed and quieted my soul so what that teaches us is we have a role to play in managing the condition of our interior life. We have a role to play in quieting and in calming our own soul. This includes God, but remember that God includes us. So as we do God's work, God does our work. And as God does our work, we're working with God. There's a divine partnership so the way to do this includes the three prohibitions above, like avoiding 
you know, not lifting up your eyes, not lifting up your heart and not trying to, not, not having to know all the reasons and realize that some things are just out of your pay grade. It includes those things. Um, it also includes a, uh, a turning away from sin. Sin uh, turns up the static of the soul. So we learned two weeks ago in Psalm 23 about um, giving in to inordinate or unhealthy appetites of the soul. And we learned about the privative and the positive. And the privative uh, means that I forego the grace of Christ in those moments as I'm giving in to sin. I forego the, not that Christ's grace doesn't, I'm not, I'm not talking about grace from a, um, like a salvific sense. I'm, I'm talking about the, the grace that is yours in the presence of sin. So we're, we're, we're not only not drinking the healthy water, we're drinking the poisonous water, right? So we're not drinking from the fountain of living water or from those, those still waters. But So it's a double whammy there. So I just wanted to mention that again. And then we've talked before about the role of, of the discipline of a, of a specific time, a single focus, and a sacred space in calming our souls. So showing up to the scripture every day and to worship every day. We talked about that. We talked about uh, getting into the scripture and we talked about worship and we talked about um, benevolent or kind acts to others as ways to, to strengthen and grow the soul. But remember the teachings about the three S's, maintaining a, a specific time and a single focus in a sacred space to where your, your heart, your mind, your body is trained to encounter the Lord. So that's a way to calm the soul. It's one thing to say, calm your soul. It's another thing to go, well, how do I do that? And what I'm trying to do is come alongside you with the help of the Holy Spirit and say, these are some ways that you can calm your soul. Now, if you know me, you know that my soul is not always calm. And when my soul is not always calm, it's usually because I'm out ahead of myself in my mind. I'm trying, trying to know all of the things. I'm anticipating the future in an unhealthy way. And I do that most whenever I'm not centered in prayer. And so I just, I want to keep giving us some tips on how to strengthen and grow our soul. Um, the soul is calmed, and this is an interesting uh, simile that it gives us here. The soul is calmed like a weaned, W-E-A-N-E-G, like a N-E-D, like a weaned child with its mother. So it's not an infant that's still nursing. It's like a weaned infant is what it's wanting you uh, to see. This, this uh, imagery here leads some scholars to believe um, that this psalm of ascent, which is a psalm that um, might have been recited, even written on the way to the temple, on the way to worship, perhaps at the dedication of the temple, songs of, psalms of hope. So we're going up, we're going up to worship, we're going up to meet with God. This particular psalm of ascent, um, this imagery leads some scholars to believe that was actually first uttered or authored by a woman. So um, it's not that a man couldn't draw upon the imagery of a weaned child with its mother. I mean, that that would be a biased statement to say that a man can't have those types of images. It, it also would be biased to say that it's not possible that a, a woman first um, authored or uttered the words of this psalm on the way up to the temple, and then the psalm was picked up, and David perhaps customized it or popularized it. Nevertheless, it was attributed uh, to David, 
And so we say it's a Psalm of David, but it's possible that, that David picked this up uh, from something that he heard, from something that got in the water and David took it and maybe made his own and tweaked it and, uh, and so on and so forth. So it's at least possible. It, it, it doesn't matter, but it's at least possible. We do know that women wrote songs or, or, or hymns or spiritual songs. We know that that happened in Exodus chapter 15 with Miriam after they crossed uh, the Red Sea. We know that happened with Hannah in 1 Samuel 2, 1 through 10, as she praised the Lord uh, when dedicating, when offering Samuel, rather, uh, to the Lord. And then we know that happened with Mary, the mother of Christ, uh, in Luke 1, 46 through 45. So it's not that the scripture does not have psalms that are authored by women. And so um, I wanted to bring that forward as a possibility uh, as well. Um, we we can't be certain, and it's, it's a little bit... Um, it's immaterial in the only in the sense that whether written by a man or a woman, you still are able to get the imagery. Uh, so having once found nourishment and satisfaction with the mother, the child returns for comfort in the mother's loving embrace. So this is a weaned child that had nourished at the bosom of his mother and now knows that place of nourishment and now returns and it's the it returns for the loving embrace like a weaned child is my soul calmed within me so a weaned child wouldn't just be thrown away from the mother the weaned child would still be close to the mother and we're meant to see that that our relationship with god what watch this our relationship with god the father in intimacy is like the relationship of a weaned child with a mother that we find the calm because there is within God, who is spirit, both the masculine and the feminine. We know that because we are made in, in the image of God. And so we see this nurturing uh, image because you're, you're meant to see that God is vulnerable. That and vulnerable in the sense that God is open to you. Not vulnerable in the sense that God can be pierced by you or harmed by you in, in that sense, but but vulnerable in the sense that God has opened. So like a, like a weaned child, I, I've calmed my soul with, within me. So beautiful. I just love, love the poetic beauty of, of the Psalms. They put it where we can, where we can really get it. We can do everything we can to calm our own soul. And yet we will never find the fullness of a calm soul until we return to the loving embrace of the one who nourishes us. So verse three, verse three, our hope, O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. The security and the acceptance found in the embrace of God is the hope that Israel possesses now and forevermore. So the hope and security found in the embrace of God is where we find our hope for the future. The security and the acceptance found in the embrace of God is where we find our hope and our future now and forevermore. So our hope is utter dependence on God now and forevermore. So let's just think, let's think nice and basic here for, 
for just a minute. Um, starts with humility. That's the posture. I'm not going to lift up my eyes upon, you know, I'm not, the destructive behaviors, the internal arrogance and pride. The humility leads us into a place of calm with God. Humility really just says, I don't. It's not thinking less of yourself. Someone says thinking less, thinking of yourself less. Not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less, which is it's an okay definition. I I think that humility is really just seeing the world rightly. I think humility isn't thinking low. Humility is thinking proper. Humility comes from I want to say the Latin humus, H-U-M-U-S. It's just, it's just an earthy. It's a person who's close to the ground. A person who's close to the ground is a person who is, has got her or his feet planted firmly on the earth. They're not just spacey. They know how life works. That's what humility is. It's knowing how life works. Thinking properly about yourself. Thinking properly about God. So you can act properly. And that's what this psalm is telling us. Get your head right. Get your heart right. Then your soul will be calm. And that starts with humility. Again, not thinking lower, thinking right. Then your soul is calm because you put your hope in God. A humble person puts her hope in God. So a couple of questions here. And please throw in anything that stands out to you about this psalm. Throw in anything that um, bothers you. Throw in any comments. Elsie says, so is, is that really surrender if we try to quiet? I think surrender is overrated. Um, in the sense that if, if surrender means that we just, we give up agency, um, then that's not seeing ourselves rightly as co-creators and co-laborers with God. So yielding, yes. Um, the Bible does talk about submission um, and submission to authority, but never, never from a place of an improper estimation of oneself. And so, the 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 commands of the Scripture are meant to are meant to order our steps. So Jesus says to the the woman who was caught in the act of adultery, "Go and sin no more." Well, that wasn't coming upon her. He wasn't asking her to surrender. What he was saying was, "Stop doing what you're doing." So you, you do have agency. So is it surrender if we try to quiet it and not really trust? I, I think, Elsie, it's a, it's a great question. Uh, and you're in the land of paradox here. You're, so as, as I was mentioning earlier, it's, a, it's both a, a, a yielding to God in humility and yet also doing the things that are within your power. So I think that the answer is, uh, is somewhere in that in that paradox, and the, and anytime we're close to paradox, we're close to deep truth. So, it's a brilliant question you asked, and I'll I'll just acknowledge that right out of the gate. It's a brilliant question. I do think that surrender is is overplayed in the Christian church, um, and it's been used um, to to get people to blindly follow, uh, and it's been used especially um, for women to uh, get them to a place of unhealthy um, cowardice in cow cow cowering, not cowardice, cowering 
like like flinchiness uh, is what I'm trying to say. Whatever the word is, it's that timidity that is unhealthy as we see leaders that in the early church that were women of God. And so it's not that there's not a mutuality and, you know, we would have to talk about submission in, in marriage. And that's, I'm not talking about it that way. Um, but I'm just saying that, 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 that flinchiness and that submission, that word has gotten dragged through the streets pretty hard and it's going to be tough to recover it. Uh, I like to think in terms of yielding, you know, God, I'm, I, I'm going. I, I'm going to have. I'm going to. I'm going to act in power because you've given me not a spirit of fear, but a spirit of, of, of power, love, and of sound mind. I'm going to act in power, but I ultimately realize that all this comes from you, and so I yield to you. Um, so it's just a thought uh, there to think about. Lately, I've not asked all the questions, but just quieting my mind. And in hours, we choose to enter rest. We can oppose it if we so choose. Brilliant. Absolutely, you get that. That's good. I quiet myself, my soul was getting a grip. Chad says it's really good and practical. Chad, I want to recommend to you, um, goodness, Chad, if you like that thought, you're probably talking somewhere in the lines of, of the, the, the three S's, the comment was made a little while ago. And I'm thinking it's in the, it's in the, the writings of Henri Nouwen. Uh, there's a book called Spiritual Direction by Henri Nouwen that you might work, that you might like. Anytime I recommend now and realize I don't recommend everything that now and says, but any mature person can disagree and still glean wisdom. So uh, we can calm our soul because God is calm love. Tommy, what if us asking why helps us to reflect on different answers that create revelation? Great. Perfect. I love that. That's a, that's yet another, another way to, uh, yeah. It, so let's go to the, the, the Jewish, mind for just a second, the understanding of the word Kavanah, K-A-V-A-N-A-H, and that's just about intention. So uh, what's my intention when I'm asking why? And that's that's probably uh, a good, if you can ask why in the presence of the Lord from a place of humility and um, place of wonder and place of healthy, you know, respect, then if that helps you to see the 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 challenge from diverse frames of reference, I think that's, I think that's wonderful. It's just never been, and I don't say this sarcastically, so don't hear that. Why has never been a fruitful endeavor for me? It's never a question that God seemed interested in asking, um, in, in answering for me, but for other people, perhaps. Uh, Alex is quoting me back to myself. Sin increases the static of the soul. Sure does, man. I never had that thought before I said it. So, now that I think about it, it's okay. Uh, let's see here. Hope and security in God embrace is where we find our hope and our future. Humility is to me opening myself for God to fill me with what he has for me each day. That's beautiful. There's a healthy submission right there. That's a really healthy submission. That's a good use of the word. You didn't use the word, but that's a good use of, of the idea. Somebody said, hey, Brother Terry, listen, if that is Terry Franklin Poole, then tip of the hat because he is my man. Not thinking of ourselves more highly than we ought, we can do what we do because of our helper. I like that. If you respect others, you respect yourself. Lane says, I love Psalm 28. Oh, Lord, you are my rock. Yielding and not surrender. Yeah, we're back in that mystery, aren't we? Let's see, yielding, a pause for his guidance. Oh, that's good. 
It's an ongoing Chaplain, and wow, you hit on a commonality, unfortunately, the American church about using humility and taken out of context. Humility, maturity, hope. I like that, Dan. Hey, Terry Poole. All right, Terry Poole, if this is you, if this is really Terry Poole, I want you to prove it. I want you to prove it by, uh, by either... <laughs> by either completely critiquing and disagreeing with something I've said or just making a comment to where uh, of something that, that you like about this song, Terry Poole, my dear friend. I love that guy. <laughs> He's a wild man. I'm still not convinced it's him. Hmm. 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 <laughs> I don't know why my mind goes to this. Probably just thinking about great people. Uh, I was uh, I was watching The Last Dance on Sunday night with uh, Michael Jordan, and that Seth came into the room, and Seth said, uh, "Dad, is that Kobe Bryant?" You know, Seth doesn't watch much basketball, but uh, I said, "No, son, it's not. It's not Kobe Bryant. That's that's Michael Jordan." He's like. Oh, okay. And he just goes back. He's completely, he's like, I, I don't know. I, I don't know. But he, he sure knew who Kobe Bryant was. Terry, you are, uh, you're a, you're a good dude. You're an, you're an all-star in my opinion, man. Sure love you. Well, have we, in the words of boys to men, have we made our way to the end of the road here? If we have, then we'll just, we'll sign off for tonight. But, uh, any last-minute comments or thoughts? Humility is the posture of heart and mind where we think about ourselves rightly, we think about others rightly, and we think about God rightly. And that enables us to calm our soul. We calm our soul um, by staying in His Word, by meditating upon Scripture, by thinking. When, when you have humility, it ought to bring a natural calm anyhow. Gratitude ought to bring a natural calm anyhow. And this is easy for me to say. I'm very privileged in every way. It's easy for me to say, but when you're grateful, you can even walk through uh, great challenges, even even health challenges. Um, you can walk through them with a posture of, of heart and mind that just says, thank you, God, for this breath. Thank you, God, for this moment. Thank you, God, for this. So, um, that's as far as we'll go for tonight. All right. Well... Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for all of the wisdom. Thank you for um, helping me to think more about healthy ways to ask why. I'm going to think about that. And um, how asking why is perhaps a sign of us being made in God's image. And yet, being made in God's image necessarily means that we're the creature, not the creator. Jora says, hey, John White. Oh, my goodness, you guys. You have no idea. John White. John was my RA, resident assistant, at Southeastern University, and he's a pastor in North Carolina. And John was, John's just salt of the earth and just such a good guy. I'm loving seeing so many faces I haven't seen in so long. Wow. Man. Hey, can I ask y'all an idea real quick? I'm not saying I'm going to do this. I'm just saying it's an idea. 
I thought about doing Facebook Live and then like running a Zoom call at the same time to where like I could see your faces and you could actually talk back to me and we would do Facebook Live and Zoom at the same time. Like I can do up to 100 people in Zoom. So you could be on Facebook typing comments and in a Zoom call and I, I could hear your voice and talk to you. What do you think about that? Do you like that? Give me a give me a thumbs up. John White is not your cousin, Becky Breda. Don't you get me excited. He's not your cousin. There's no way John White's your cousin. Do y'all like that idea? Do you like the Zoom slash Facebook all at once? You like that? No, I'm not seeing any comments yet, so give me a thumbs up if you think that would be good. Is that what the heart emojis? Give me a comment. I don't know what heart emojis are. I mean, I, I like them. Yeah, no? Not with this hair, she says. Okay, fair enough. We only have 50 on Facebook Live right now. Zoom could totally handle that. Yeah. Michelle says, yeah, she's up for that. Okay. Okay. Yeah, it's funny. There's... um. You know, it fluctuates. It'll be 50. Some nights it'll be 70. And then throughout the week, there's over 900 people who watch these Wednesday night sessions. And every day, between four and 800 people are logging on. Logging on. We're logging on. Okay, Chris, Chad, Becky, and John go way back. Okay, yes. Annette says yes. You can chat in Zoom. Bill, that's next level. I mean, one step at a time, okay? I'm just now figuring out how to do Facebook Live in front of them. Okay, well, uh, maybe, I'll, maybe I'll do it. Maybe we'll see. We'll put the word out on uh, Facebook before next week if we're gonna try it. And uh, my dad says he's up for it. If my dad's up for it, it's good. Okay, that's it. Much love to y'all. Take care. See you next Wednesday. Bye-bye.